Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. The writer of that hymn was caught in a violent storm in the hills of Scotland. He found refuge in a rock, in a cleft in the rock. And afterwards, he remembered how often Jesus had been the rock in the storm. I talked to a sweet lady before the service who's remembering today the loss of her husband and the pain that she feels. I heard the good news about people who have been married for a long time and still in love with each other. Actually, that young lady, both of those young ladies are great saints of the Lord. Are you going through a storm right now? Do you think America is going through some storms right now that the world is? We have a rock. We have a rock. When Moses was in the desert and the people were thirsty and they wondered where we're going to find water, God led them to a rock. And water came out of that rock. And that rock, of course, is a prefiguring of the rock on which we stand, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Would you join me as we go to him? Lord God, I don't know what the needs are of these people. I know that my good friend Kurt tells me that they are a wonderful people. He loves them dearly. Lord, he didn't love them with even a fraction of the love that you love them with. You know every person here, every need in their life, every dream that's been dashed, every hope that's been somehow out in the distance, never quite reached. You know every pain, every thorn, and every flesh you know. You know the children that have hurt our hearts. You know the marriages that are struggling. You know the single people that so desperately would like to find someone to marry and the married people that sometimes would so desperately be unmarried. You know, Lord, the issues in our nation, the issues with the next generations. You know the issues around the world. I think this morning, Lord, of people who have lost their homes and are struggling in Louisiana, Mississippi, people who died in New York, and I think of children and, and people who were desperately trying to get up Afghanistan this morning and wonder if they have a future. I think of people in, in refugee camps in the Sudan. I think of people who are struggling with COVID this morning, with those who have relatives and friends and loved ones in hospitals who are wondering if they're going to come out. I think of the fear in America today and the toxicity on Twitter and Instagram and social media, the polarization that we're facing as a nation. And oh, Lord, I long for you to come and be the God of peace in this land. Lord God, I, I long for your Holy Spirit to come and build roads instead of walls, bridges that would bring people back together again. I don't know how it's going to be done, Lord, but I know you can do it. I know you're the great I am. You're the God of miracles. You're the God who, 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 who built this world out of nothing and who took me and so many like me when we were going nowhere, 
some of us on a trash heap and you, you took us off that trash heap and you've been recreating us into wonderful works of art. Lord God, I just have faith. I have faith today that you are the rock of ages, that you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, we trust you. And Lord God, we're going, to, we're going to trust what you've told us, not what we see with our eyes. And we're going to believe that better days are ahead. And we're going to believe, Lord, that you're going to turn the deserts into garden. You're going to break down the walls and make bridges between people. You're going to heal the hurting. You're going to take us to a place with no more crying, no more tears, no more death. And before we get there, Lord, you're going to give us a new way of looking at things like we've never seen before. You're going to give us joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit so that we can continue to prosper in this world and lead others to you. We thank you, Lord, for all you're going to do because of who all you are. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And Lord, we trust in you. And so, Lord, all we can do at times like this is to remember the prayer that your Son taught us to pray. And would you join me? Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who... And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well. We are going to fly away one day, aren't we? We'll just stand as we sing our next song. Oh, the offering's next. I can't forget the yeah, offering. So if, the, if the ushers would come forward, uh, we'll take the offering. Yeah. Kurt didn't tell me I was going to have to do this part. And I'll, fl- so. I'll fly away. <laughs>
thank you for the hands that gathered these offerings. Thank you for the hearts and the hands that gave these offerings. And Lord, bless them and use them for the advancement of your kingdom and for all good things. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm here to preach the Word of God, I, but I want to pause because there was a, somebody said, uh, we want to pr pray for our dear brother, uh, Ron, is that Keel? Yeah. Very ill with COVID, ICU in New York. Let's just take a minute and do that right now. Lord God, you know Ron, you framed him in his mother's womb. You, you've been with him ever since he was born. Lord God, we ask it right now. You surround him with your love, you give doctors wisdom. The Lord, you'd bring him back from his, his illness and bring him to fullness of health. We pray not only for Ron, but so many people who are suffering today from this dreaded plague. And we ask, Lord, that it would leave us soon and we'd be back to life as normal. Lord, bless Ron. Bless all of us here in Christ's name. Amen. We're in Exodus chapter 4 this morning, uh, 3 this morning, Exodus chapter 3. I just want to read you a, a few verses. I want to talk about two chapters, and you may say, oh, right away, oh my goodness, he's going to preach a long time. <laughs> Kurt told me one thing. He said, whatever else you do, 11 o'clock is the bewitching hour here. <laughs> and so, um, and he looks serious about that. <laughs> I'm so glad to have been here with my brother Bill. I met Bill when I was president of Master Media International, which is the largest ministry to film and television executives in New York. Bill came down with me to, um, to um, this city called Naples, an African-American, having raised in an African-American church in an African-American community. He came down here and he came to All White uh, Covenant Church of Naples. And he's been with me, ministering to me for the 18 years as we saw Covenant grow from a little white church to what you see on 41 today. And, and he has blessed me so much, but no more than you did today, Bill, when you sang today. And, and, and I just wanted to not fly away, but stay here and listen to that song all day. You're not the third team, brother. You're the first team all the way. Uh, so verse 13, uh, verse um, 11 in chapter 3 of Exodus begins, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the Jews out of Israel, Egypt, and you will worship God on this mountain where he was, where he saw the burning bush, Mount Horeb, later known as Mount Sinai. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have a riddle for you today. What's the value of a one-inch piece of, of, of a 12-inch um, bar of steel? The answer? All depends. If you take that bar of steel and make of it uh, uh, weights for a fishing line, it's worth about $25. Take that same bar of steel and make of it Fishing hooks is now worth 250. 
But if you take it and make up a little knives, a little blades for uh, expensive pocket watches, it's now worth about $2,500. But take that 12-inch piece of steel and make of it intricate springs for a expensive Swiss watches, and it's now worth about $250,000. What's the value of a 12-inch piece of steel? It all depends on whose hands it's in and for what purpose it's being crafted. Second riddle, what's your value? What's the value of a person? Same answer, it all depends. In whose hands you're in and for what purpose you're being crafted. Take Moses. At age 40, he was prime grade A steel, crafted in a palace, a sword of steel in the hand of the pharaoh. His edge sharpened to a razor sharpness, gleaming in the hot Egyptian sun the prince of Egypt. But he discovered that his life had been a fraud, that he was really the son of a slave people. He tried to lead a slave revolution, and his steel cracked under the pressure. He became a fugitive with a price on his head. We read in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Exodus, on the far side of the desert, and you can't get much farther on the desert than that, the Sinai Desert. One of the most desolate places on earth. If seen from a satellite photograph, it looks like a moonscape. Temperatures rising to 115 during the day and plunging below zero at night. That's where he's been for the last 40 years. Traveling with a ragtag group of nomads, tending sheep. At 80 years old, the shepherd, formerly known as Prince, now his edge is dull. His steel is pockmarked by the sands of, of time and of the desert, rusted out, still broken, still shattered. And now God comes to him at age 80 to ask him to do the impossible, what he couldn't do at the prime of life at age 40. God says, I want you to go down to the most powerful man on planet Earth, to the greatest empire the world has ever known, to the throne room, to the center of that great empire, and I want you to tell that Pharaoh to let 2.5 million of your slaves go free. What would you do if you were Moses at that point? I want to bring you into the story for a moment. Some of you might be approaching 80. You might have passed that magic mark by now. I don't know what kind of a desert you're in. I don't know if your marriage is barren, if you have children that have broken your heart. If you're a PIP, you know Naples is full of PIPs, previously important people. used to be VIPs and now they're here after playing golf and going to the country club and going out to dinner on Fifth Avenue on Friday nights and going to the Phil they begin to sing that song in the morning you know that song Peggy Lee sang is that all there is <laughs> and they wonder what do I do next where do I go next do you know that God has a plan for your life I always say to older people, I say that to myself, it's not time to retire, it's time to refire. God has something great for your future. And you may be standing like Moses saying, why would you come to me now? Why would you have use for me now? So I want to share with you three truths this morning that um, I think will change your life. The first truth, it's not who you are, it's who he is. It's not who you are, it's who he is. Moses asked God two questions in the passage I just read you. The first question, who am I? Wrong question, Moses. 
We live in a selfie age, in a narcissistic age, where we focus on ourselves all too much. The wrong focus, Moses. Had you asked Moses at age 40, who are you? He would have said, I'm somebody. I'm 40 years old. I'm in the prime of life. I'm steel forged in a palace. I've got what it takes to lead a liberation movement. I'm self-assured. I'm self-confident. If you ask the same man at age 80, he would say, I'm nobody. I'm broken. I'm shattered. Self-pity, self-condemnation. The problem with self-confidence and self-condemnation is they both begin with the same word, self. We live in a focused age on self. But he asks a second question, aren't you glad? After God talks to him for a little bit, he says, okay, so I go down there. Who should I tell the people that you are? That's the right question for all of us. Not who we are, but who he is. And God gives the strangest answer. Just say, I am, set you. Oh, by the way, Moses, that's the name I want to be known by. I've got a lot of names, but that's my favorite name. Just tell them, I am. That's the name I want to be read, remembered by forever, even in Naples in 2021. I am. What a strange name. Have you ever thought about that? I am. A.W. Tozier, who wrote a wonderful book called Knowledge of the Holy, said that what that really means is it's in the ever-present now in the Hebrew. What God is saying is, I always am the same. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I never change. I live in the constant I am-ness of my being. I am. Think about that. Nobody ever explained that better, I think, than David in his 23rd Psalm. Do you ever just lay awake at night worrying about tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? What you're going to face tomorrow? Nothing will keep you awake at night more than tomorrow and all the issues you've got to deal with tomorrow, the things that bring fear and dread to your heart tomorrow. Remember what the psalmist said about his God? He said, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, he goes where I'm going to go before I ever get there. He's the God of my future. He's the God of my tomorrow. And Moses needs to know that because he lays awake at night wondering, what am I going to say when I get there? What if Pharaoh doesn't listen to me? What if God's people don't follow me? What if things don't work out right? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Maybe I'm going to fail tomorrow. God says, no, no, don't worry about tomorrow. I am. I am in your tomorrow. I'm preparing the way for you in your tomorrow. I'm setting things up for you in your tomorrow. Even though I'm with you today, I'm already in your tomorrow. Isn't that good to know? So you can go to sleep tonight knowing that God is in your tomorrow. I love that. When, I go to, when I'm laying in bed and I think of all the things i got to face tomorrow, I just remember, I am. I am in your tomorrow. But what happens when your tomorrow turns to today? What happens when Moses is standing before the Pharaoh? When he's standing before these ragtag rabble of slaves and telling them, I'm here to set you free. When he goes to the Pharaoh and says, I'm here to tell you, you've got to set God's people free. What happens when tomorrow becomes today and I'm facing a very real and present danger? The psalmist goes on. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, my I am. And even though I face things that scare me to death, your rod and your staff comfort me. And even when I'm surrounded by my enemies, you prepare a table for me in their presence. 
And even when I'm thirsty, and I don't know if I can go on, you give me a cup filled to overflowing with your goodness. And when I'm so scared, I don't know what to do. When I'm trembling, you pour over me the oil, the anointment of your peace. Because you're the God of my today, you're with me today. But then today turns to yesterday. How many of you here today sometimes lay awake at night with regret thinking of all the things you did wrong yesterday? All the places you could be today if you hadn't made some of the decisions you made yesterday. Children that are in the far country and you wish you would have raised them differently than you did. Marriages that maybe failed and you think to yourself, if only I had done things differently. I would be so much better today if I had done better yesterday. And I love the way the psalmist ends. You remember how he ends that psalm? For surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Mercy and goodness, just two other names for God of his many names. So what is he saying? God goes before me in my tomorrows. He's the God of my future. He's with me today. He's the God of my present. And he follows me behind me, thank God, cleaning up the messes of yesterday. He's the I am. Doesn't matter who you are so much as it matters who he is. Can you just say this with me? I know it's a little juvenile, but I want you to just confess this with me. Doesn't matter who I am, it's who he is. Can you say it with me? Doesn't matter who I am, it's who he is. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, it doesn't matter who you are, it's who he is. That's the first truth. That's the first truth I want you to take home with you today that'll change everything. Some of you are a little shocked when your husband said, it doesn't matter who you are, but you're glad he said the second part. It matters who he is. The second thing I want you to know, because Moses continues to argue with God, it takes us a long time to get this in our head because we are so self-focused. It's our nature. And so God talking to him and he says, but God, you don't understand. I've been in this desert for 40 years. I've, I used to be an eloquent speaker, but I've been with sheep for 40 years, and they're just not good conversationalists. I've lost all of my skills of speaking. I've lost everything I used to have when I was 40 years of age in the prime of life, and now you're asking me to do this? Can I give you a second truth? It doesn't matter where you've been. All that matters is where you're going. It doesn't matter where you've been. It only matters where you're going. I've been in the desert. Have you been in the desert? It's a hard thing to be in the desert. I know these things about the desert, having experienced the desert, having looked at history. I know, number one, that palaces produce princes, but deserts produce prophets. A lot of princes today prancing around in their power, trying to be somebody or something, sending their meaningless Instagrams and tweets and pictures of the hamburger they had for dinner on Fifth Avenue yesterday and all the stuff that really doesn't matter, posing to be somebody they're not. You know, that's the problem with Instagrams and social media. We only give the best side of part of our life. We pretend to be somebody we're not. We just produce as princes. But it's the desert that produces prophets. Abraham wandered in the desert for a lot of years. Moses was in the desert. Elijah was in the desert. 
Jesus was prepared for his ministry in the desert. Before him, John the Baptist was prepared to prepare the way for him in the desert. Abraham Lincoln spent years in the desert of failure. Martin Luther King spent years in the desert trying to convince a nation that it had to change the way it looked at a very large percentage of its people and the way it looked at itself. I've been in a desert. Have you been in a desert? Prophets are made in the desert. It's through adversity that we are shaped to become everything God wants us to do. And by the way, I've also learned this when you're in the desert, that God is preparing you to lead other people across the same desert. Moses didn't know why he was in the desert with those cantankerous sheep for 40 years. But by the end of that 40 years, he knew every watering hole. He knew every tree. He knew every mountain range. He knew every Bedouin, or he knew every um, uh, tribe of bandits. He knew how to take sheep across the desert, and God was preparing him to take 2.5 million cantankerous sheep across the same desert. Do you understand that? You will never go through a desert in your life that God doesn't want you to help other people go through that same desert. He's preparing us for something better than where we've been, to go somewhere we've never been before. I knew a boy whose mother went looking for love for in all the wrong places for 15 and she was 15 or 16 years of age when she found herself pregnant. She went home to a father who threw her out of the house. She wandered the streets in Maine until she found her way to a home for unwed mothers and she gave birth to a no-name boy. To this day, that boy doesn't know who his father was. She went looking for love in all the wrong places for the next few years and gave birth to five more children by five different guys. That little boy had to take care of his brothers and sisters, and often she would come home from the bars bringing her boyfriends home. And they would use that little boy in their sex games. He was sexually abused, physically abused, that little boy, until he didn't know who he was and felt absolutely worthless. And then the authorities stepped in, and that little boy spent the next six years of his life in eight different foster homes. He went to bed until he was 12 years of age. He, um, he didn't know who he was. He had been a, a winner as a Strickland, a Lee, and Edwards. Uh, state psychologist said he had the sociability of a four-year-old. A teacher wrote on his sixth grade report card, this little boy needs to be institutionalized. He'll never amount to anything. Imagine a teacher writing that on a little boy's report card. Imagine that little boy seeing that report card. I know that little boy very well because that little boy was me. I was wonderfully adopted at age 12, and for the next six years before I went to college, a wonderful commercial fisherman in the Pacific Northwest took a little boy at his side, took him fishing in Alaska, uh, and taught him how to be a man. But the wolves in the cellar of your soul never go away. Sometimes they lie dormant for a long time, and you think they've died, and just when you least expect it, they rise up to howl at the moon again. It was... Um, Sandra Bullock in the movie Hope Floats, who in the last line of the movie said, adulthood is spending the rest of your life getting over your childhood. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Who would have believed that little boy, the teacher said, would never amount to anything need to be institutionalized? I've often thought of framing that report card and putting it next to my doctoral diploma. Who would have believed that that little boy who had come from a long line of abusive, of incestuous people 
would be celebrating this Tuesday with the beautiful woman in the back row, the one who keeps saying, put on your mask, put on your mask. <laughs> 53 years of happy marriage with a happy, healthy family. Who would have believed that I would have spoken to two million people in 70 countries of the world and shared the gospel or been allowed to build some large churches and influence lots of people? I know this, that God took me across the desert to prepare me to take other people across the desert. People say, why do you have a heart for people that are hurting? Because I know what it means to be hurt. Why do you have wisdom about what I should do? Because I know what it means to gain wisdom in the midst of a foolish life situation. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going. And God is saying to Moses, it doesn't matter where you've been the last 40 years. It's what I'm going to do through you in the next 40 years of your life. And so that's the second truth. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going. Can you repeat that with me? It doesn't matter where I've been. It matters where I'm going. Would you say it? It doesn't matter where I've been. It only matters where I'm going. Would you turn to the person next to you and say the same thing? You know what Kurt said? You guys were Presbyterians. I think you're a little Pentecostal. I love the fact the way you're responding to me. Okay, I've got one last truth, one third truth. One third truth, because Moses is still having a hard time. We have such a hard time believing God wants you to do great things in our life, don't we? And so God says, God gives him three little illustrations. You remember those three illustrations. The first is a burning bush. We often think that burning bush is about God, and it is. God is the fire in that burning bush. The Bible says he's an all-consuming fire. But what about the bush? What is the bush? I think the bush is Moses, a picture of Moses. Old, dried up, barely hanging on to the desert floor. The next big wind that comes along will sweep him away. Just an old bush. I'm just an old bush God. What could I do? And this is the third truth. It's not what you are on the outside, it's who he is on the inside. In an age when we Botox the outside, we facelift the outside, we try to wear neat clothes and impress people with the outside, what really matters is what's on the inside. It's not the bush, it's the fire in the bush, the Holy Spirit in the bush. We get afraid of the Holy Spirit, we really do. Oh, what if the Holy Spirit burns out of control? What if I become like one of those crazy Pentecostal people? Did you notice when you read the text, the bush never gets burned up. The fire never gets out of control. And God wants to fill us with the presence and the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And when that power is in us, that fire is in us, there's nothing we can't do. So don't focus on the bush. Focus on the fire that's in the bush. Moses is still having a hard time grasping this. We do. God bless us. We have a hard time understanding his promises. And so God says, what's that in your hand? Oh, it's just an old stick. A crooked old stick, a dead piece of wood I found on the desert floor. And I thought it might help me. I could lean on it when I'm tired. I could use it to prod the sheep. And I could use it to fend off the predators who come after my sheep. (laughs) And God is saying, well, you're the old stick I found. (laughs) I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to use you to take my sheep across the wilderness. I'm going to use you to fight the predators of God's people. I don't have what it takes. I'm just an old stick. 
okay, throw that stick on the ground. You remember the story? Moses throws a stick on the ground and it turns into a venomous snake. I know it's a venomous snake because Moses had been 40 years on the wilderness and he jumped back. And then God says the strangest thing to him, oh, by the way, Moses, pick up the snake by the tail. Now, I lived in Texas for a while. I know one thing. You never pick up a snake by the tail because it's the, they'll come around and bite you. You want to pick up a snake, which I don't highly recommend, you do it behind their head. What's God saying here? God says, you're just an old stick, but I'm inside of you. I'm the snake that's going to take a bite out of sin. I'm going to take a bite out of Egypt and the corruption in Egypt. I'm going to use you as my snake. Through me, you're going to have the power of life and death over people. Wow. You're going to bring plagues upon Egypt. You're going to bring death upon Egypt because they deserve it. Because they've been fighting me and they've been enslaving my people and killing the babies of my people. And Moses, I'm going to use you. I don't know. It's pretty dangerous. Yeah, it is. But you pick it up. You can handle it. You remember he goes down, he's, I, I, I love this scene, he's standing in, the, in front of the Pharaoh, things aren't going well, and so he says, okay, I got this, this special deal, I got this snake and a stick trick. So he throws a stick on the ground and it turns into a snake. And he's expecting everybody to be odd, but there are all these magicians who are in the court of the Pharaoh, and they got slick sticks. Sticks that have been made in a lathe, that have been varnished, polished. They got these little gold and silver doodads on the top of them. Slick sticks. And they throw their slick sticks on the floor and they turn into snakes. And Moses must be thinking to himself, although the Bible doesn't record it, I would be thinking, I thought I had the franchise on the snake and his stick trick. <laughs> and now these guys have the same power I do. God says, watch, Moses, watch. You remember how the story goes. You can read it later in chapter 4. The snake of Moses eats all the other snakes. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, this world is full of slick sticks, slick stick politicians, slick stick preachers, slick stick churches, slick stick companies and CEOs and slick stick people. You see them every evening. You go out to dinner in Naples, slick sticks. But can I tell you, God prefers to use the old crooked stick that's filled with his power. St. Paul talked about having a form of godliness without the power. People ask me all the time, who are you? And I just tell them, I'm a crooked stick. But I remember the words of the Puritans, God can take a crooked stick and make a straight line. I'm just a crooked stick in the hands of God. And if I can make a straight line to his cross, to Jesus himself, to his promises, to the word of God, to, 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 to the goodness of God, then I will have lived my life correctly. So, so say it doesn't, oh, well, there's one more. Because he's still having a hard time. And I'm still, by the way, on time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> slick sticks. Don't preach as long as crooked sticks. Uh, so he says, what's that? He says, it's my hand. It's an 80-year-old hand. It's got, mine already has brown spots on it. It's crippled by arthritis. It's an old hand. God says, put it inside your cloak. And he does, and he brings it out, and it's fresh and pure like a baby's hand. Put it back in, and he puts it back in, and he brings it out, and it's leprous. What does that mean? Well, you have an old trembling hand, but I tell you what I'm going to do through that hand. 
I'm going to bring life through that hand, new life through that hand. I'm going to bring healing and miracles through that hand. You're going to hold up that hand and seas are going to open up and my people are going to go through on dry land. You're going to hold up that hand and water is going to come out of rocks to, to, to give. You're going to hold up that hand and manna is going to come from heaven. In that hand you have life. But you're also going to hold up that hand and plagues are going to fall on Egypt and rivers are going to turn to blood and frogs are going to be everywhere and insects and boils and the angel of death. That same hand you hold up to bring life to my people when they cross through the Red Sea. When you get to the other side, you're going to hold that same hand up. And the seas are going to come crashing down on Pharaoh and his army. Wow. It's not what's on the outside. It's the one who's on the inside. I think sometimes the church has lost its power today. Christianity is sometimes held in disrepute because God's people haven't you haven't figured out what Moses took a long time to figure out. That if we just don't care so much about the outside, but just strive to have Jesus on the inside, that so many more things can happen, things beyond our wildest imagination. And so would you humor me again by saying, it's not what's on my inside, it's or on my outside, it's what's on my inside. Would you just say that? It's not what's on my outside, but what's on my inside. Would you say it to the person next to you? Three wonderful truths today. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you are of inestimable well, of value? That you are being crafted for, by God for better things than you've ever experienced in the past? Do you believe it's not time to retire? It's time to refire? I can tell you that if, if, if youth being wasted on the young is sad, age being wasted on the old is a tragedy. God has given you resources. He's given you wisdom. He's given you uh, time. He wants to use you. God has told me in my retirement years, it's not time to retire. I left Covenant Church of Naples, turned it over to my young uh, apprentice of six years, Trent, who's doing a magnificent job there. And I thought I was just going to retire, write books, and, and um, do fun things. And God gave me a vision to reach 10 million people, 2,500 churches, grandparents, who 86% of Millennials and Gen Z say are their favorite people. And to teach them how to build bridges and tear down walls. And to go to those who love them most and share with them the values of faith, the values of family, the values of our country. To try to save the next generations. I'm not through. God's not through with me yet. He's not through with you. And one of the greatest pleasures I've had in the last few months of working day and night is having the opportunity to come to my brother Kurt's church and meet one of the great churches in America and one of the coolest people in America. Thank you for taking the time to listen to, to, to what I have to share to you today. And I believe that if you just come to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you and let him fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit, you just can't imagine what's going to happen. You can't imagine how God can take a little boy and change the world with a little boy. If he can do that, he can change the world with anybody. Would you join me in prayer? God bless uh, everyone here.
prepare us to be what you want us to be, to do what you want us to do. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.